Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane. Three Roll is cane to glass. From Tula Tacos and Amigos in downtown Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Christian Mader, publisher and editor of The Current. It's business, Acadiana style. Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. It's beyond cliche at this point to say that folks in Acadiana have a special relationship with food. Whole towns are defined by their food festivals. you got your gumbo festival, your rice festival, your sweet potato festival, your crawfish festival. In the case of Morgan City, your shrimp and Petroleum Festival. Of course, that's thinking about food as culture or as commerce, and more essentially, food is nourishment. You can't live without it. Some might say you can't really live with it. And you think about that the next time you say you're dying for a link of boudin. Another way of thinking about it, food can be medicine. It's how we fuel and regulate our bodies. A good diet impacts how we think and how we feel, and eating right is the best way to live right. Uh, my guest, Daphne Olivier, is a dietitian who bills herself as the unconventional dietitian. And her practice takes a food-as-medicine approach to helping folks deal with chronic conditions uh, and diseases like diabetes, hypoglycemia, obesity, and more. And she has a tailored approach, helping clients rethink what they eat and its role in their lifestyle. She grew up in Denham Springs, but began her career as an independent dietitian in 2011 after moving to Lafayette. Daphne Olivier, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so food can be spiritual medicine, too. Otherwise, they wouldn't call it soul food. Sometimes you run across a bite so good, you might say it was heaven sent or maybe divine. Uh, my guest, Lenore Harding, calls her custom bakery Divine Cakes and Sweets Boutique because it was divinely inspired. She's grown her business from her kitchen as a home baker, teaching herself the art of specialty cakes and decoration. Since 2019, she's built Divine Cakes through word of mouth-watering takes on Southern specialties like sweet dough pies and tea cakes. And Divine Cakes is also mission-oriented. Her long-term plan for the company is to open it up as a community bakery where people with disabilities can learn to bake and sell their goods. Lenore Harding, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thank yeah, you for having me. You're happy to have you here. Um, Daphne, I I'm sure folks listening might think, you know, I don't want my food to be medicine, I want it to be food, right? <laughs> um, is it sort of tough when you have that first conversation, right, to get over that hump where, where people are kind of thinking, like, I put those in different cabinets, right? Right. So, yes, the, the answer is yes, especially here in South Louisiana where food is such a strong part of our culture. However, when someone doesn't feel good and recognizes that maybe it's because of what they're eating, um, then it's a little bit of an easier conversation. And usually by the time they get to me, they already don't. There's something that they feel like they could influence through food. Is it something that folks generally know where they start? Like, just give you some TMI in my own life, right? Like, I, I recently, at 38 years old, was, uh, I found out I'm, like, I'm allergic to wheat, right? Which blew my mind because I love bread and I've been eating it all my life, right? Um but, you know, if you tried to pinpoint, right, some inflammation or something based on my diet, you know, my doctor could say, Christian, what are you eating? And I could just sort of say, like, well, everything, right? <laughs> so, like, do people generally come in and they have a good sense of, well, it's this habit or, or this, you know, substance that's causing the problem? Or, or does it take some investigating? 
Um, I, it could be both. So sometimes people come in and they really have no idea what's going on, but they know when they eat, they don't feel good. Mm -hmm. Or um, sometimes they come in, they've done a little troubleshooting themselves and they feel like, okay, this is, um, I, I think maybe it's this or maybe it's this, or maybe it's always whenever I eat dinner. And so we'll kind of unpack things. So it would be lovely if there was always a straightforward answer. Yeah. Sometimes we do have to explore and, and just kind of figure some things out. Sure. Um, so, so Lenore, it, Something that strikes me, right, in, in the world of baking is that I feel like during the pandemic, lots of people learned to bake. Uh, and then, you know, I, I spent a lot of time, like a lot of people, watching the Great British Baking Show. And so it has me curious, like, has that changed what people expect from their baked goods? Like, when they come to you, like, are they looking for something maybe differently than they would have in, I don't know, when you got started? Well, I can say when the pandemic started, that's when uh, my sweet dough pies became um, my number one seller because I hadn't put it on my menu. I would always make it for my family. Sure. And then once we were locked in the house, I said, okay, well, let me just make some sweet dough pies and some tea cakes, you know, because we locked in the house, kind of, you know, give some people some comfort. Mm -hmm. And it became my number one seller. I didn't want it to, but <laughs> it did. <laughs> but it did, yeah. you know, because I like the creativity of what I do. Mm -hmm. And it's only so much you can do with a pie. Mm -hmm. So, so yes, so the sweet dough pie, I guess you can say, um, came alive yeah. during the pandemic. So, I, I, forgive me. Explain to me what a sweet dough pie is, or maybe for other people who don't know what a sweet dough pie is. <laughs> um, it's how can I? It's 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 not the traditional the as far as the dough. Okay. It's not the traditional dough that you would find um, in a pie. Sure. Um, it's it's made with um, I guess you, I'm not going to give my recipe. Sure, that's fine. But it's yeah. made we with can just more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's fine. It's, it's made with more, I'm not going to say more sugar, but it does have a, a sweeter taste than the regular dough. Okay. But it's the spices that I add in mine. Not everybody adds spices okay. in their sweet dough. Yeah. And then it depends on what type of pie you're making. Yeah. So, so yeah, it kind of tastes like, almost like a cookie. Yeah, I mean, so 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 I mean, I'm trying to picture in my head what a sweet dough pie might look. I mean, it, it would still look like a regular, a regular pie, in it, but just maybe the but what differentiates the type of dough? It yes, it okay. would, and then it depends on how each individual make their pie. Because sure. some people, the way they fold the pie dough mm -hmm. over on the sides, yeah, but it looks it can look like a regular pie. Yeah, it's just once you bite into it, <laughs> it's when you bite into it where all the difference comes in at. Wow. To me, it's all about, I guess I can speak from my past. It's all about family mm -hmm. um, because growing up, I grew up on sweet dough pie. Mm -hmm. It was like, a tra I don't want to say a tradition, but it was something that you, like your grandmothers or your aunts, the neighbors, they would bake and it's mm -hmm. like family would come together. So that's what sweet dough pie is for me. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my customers, when they order one, they're like, let's just let me try it because I know nobody bakes like my grandmother or like my mother did. Mm -hmm. And when they take that bite, they're like, oh, my God. I mean, you make me think about my grandmother. You almost brought tears to my eyes. It's like, so, yeah, so it's like, it's like family. It, it's, it's a remembrance of family. That's yeah. what I think of about sweet dough pie. Sure. Uh, so Daphne, I mean, one thing I'm sort of curious about, 
right is the, the, the way that you walk a person through this. I mean, at some level, right, you can't, I'm assuming, you can't just sort of apply a gen general, hey, this is what's going to work for you because it works for 30 other people right. approach to, to getting them to understand it. So, like, say I kind of walk in and you've got to work with me on how to get from A to Z. I mean, how do you do that? Well, so we want to look at kind of really identify what the problem is. So what are the symptoms that you're having that you're wanting to alleviate? And yeah. ultimately, when somebody starts making changes to their diet, it's because something is, is not right and they're wanting to not feel that anymore. So what are the changes that we have to, uh, that we're trying to address? So that's mm -hmm. the first part. And then what are, you know, we want to talk a little bit about medical history and family history. Um, but also, like, what is it that, what patterns are you currently seeing in your eating, in your symptoms, and um, is it working for you? And if it's not working for you, which a hundred times out of a hundred times, they're going to come to me because whatever they're doing is not working. So once we can identify that what you're doing is not working, then we start navigating other options. So depending on what their symptoms are would depend on what kind of things we want to either add in or take away. And I do take the approach of um, not just taking things away. So dietitians um, don't have the greatest reputation. You know, we're not well loved by everyone because we're seen as being someone who's only taking away the things that create that family, you know, experience, that emotional response to food. And so ultimately, the best way I think that we get results is to be able to um, not just talk about what we have to take out of the diet, but what we can put in to, to help to um, fill that void. So, so, I mean, if I'm understanding correctly, like there's an, uh, you know, th there's an idea out there, right? That if I go to the dietitian, you're going to tell me not to eat something that I love. Right. right. Absolutely. But, th but maybe sometimes the answer can be uh, adding something to your diet that helps, right, right deal with an inflammation. I mean, I, I think th the thing that might be alien to some folks, right, is the idea that if we, we started talking about how food could be medicine. I mean, what does that actually look like in terms of what a person might eat and how their body would react to it? Can you unpack that a little bit more for me? Yeah, so, um, okay, so as an example, for someone who doesn't tolerate wheat well, um, Thank you. a lot of things, I would, I'm making a lot of assumptions, but I'm, I think I'm pretty true on this, a lot of the things that you used to enjoy, you no longer can enjoy because it's causing harm to your body Pizza. in some kind of way. Yeah. Pizza, bread, <laughs> po'boys, I mean, we could, the list can go Stop on and on. Stop breaking my heart, um, <laughs> But, so, the way that we would use food as medicine is to say, okay, so what can we do to help heal your body? So perhaps it would be, I mean, in the immediate instance, we might say, let's just do something that's gluten-free. Mm -hmm. So you can still enjoy gluten-free bread. Sure. Um, not quite the same thing as regular bread. And so we kind of baby step our way to um, something that would be maybe like, pizza's a hard one. Um, <laughs> but how can we add in some kind of food so that you have maybe like a something that is going to provide nourishment yeah. um, without feeling like it, you're completely deprived from what you normally love. So yeah. maybe we could do like pizza toppings on a baked potato or something. That's kind of an extreme example. Um, but you know, so that you're still getting the idea of you're enjoying that pizza, you're enjoying the flavors. Um, it's not completely taken away, but we can we can navigate and kind of skirt around it. Sure. So, so Lenore, it kind of has me curious, right? Like one way or another, people have I think become generally more aware of issues like this, right, in their own lives. And so I think it's more common for me to go to the grocery store, for instance, and see you know, gluten-free cookies or you know any sort of like alternative version of comfort classics. I mean, but you do custom work. I mean, have people come to you and said, can you make, for instance, a sweet dough pie, but without 
flour. I mean, does that happen for you at all? Um, it happens with cake. Yeah. A lot of people come to me um, wanting um, either gluten-free or sugar-free, and I, I haven't stepped out yeah. on that yet. And I always tell them, you know, just be on the lookout. I will, because, of course, you know, the nurse in me yeah. knows about, you know, all of the, the healthy options sure. and the things that they should and shouldn't be eating. Yeah. But what I do tell, like I just had a customer, she's like, oh, when I buy your pies, I have to eat two at a time. I say, nope, it's all about moderation. You know, <laughs> sure. it's not two at a time. Yeah. It's all about moderation. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I have had those questions asked. I just yeah. haven't stepped out into sure. You know, making well, those and to be items. fair, that's a whole nother skill set yes. to be able to um, to navigate that world is a very different skill yeah. set. Yeah, it, it will definitely take time, practice. Yeah. Yes. Sometimes yeah. I wonder, right? The marketing on this stuff gets kind of weird. Where, like, if you tried to sell me a turkey burger, right, and you said, "Here's a turkey burger. It's a really good turkey burger," I'd eat the turkey burger, and I'd probably like the turkey burger. But if you try to tell me, well, it's just like a hamburger, except it's made out of turkey. All of a sudden, I'm <laughs> looking for the trick, right? Yes. And so sometimes I wonder, like, you know, because especially since now, I, I evidently shouldn't eat wheat. Like, I'll try <laughs> gluten-free things and, and, and say to myself, like, well, if I don't try to think of it as a gluten-free cake, but just like a thing in and of itself, right? right. Like, mm -hmm. you know, the, you could eat a flourless chocolate cake, for instance. Delicious, right? Right. But no yeah. one's calling those... And it really is delicious. They're great. They're dense and, and delightful. But, like, you, you just kind of, like, have to tweak your brain a little bit, right, to kind of mm -hmm. come at it like, well, I'm not, yeah, it's not exactly the thing that I'm craving maybe, but it's a different thing. And then you sort of develop a crave, and the next thing you have a, a problem yes. eating too much. Yeah. It'll take time. <laughs> I mean, you can get used to it. It just, you have to acquire the taste yeah. and, you know, just take time and be open. Be yeah. open-minded for it because you got to think about your health and your life. Sure. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. I'm talking with Lenore Harding of Divine Cakes and Sweets Boutique and Daphne Olivier, better known as the unconventional dietitian. I mean, Daphne, do, do you find that, that most folks, that the reluctance is a flavor thing or is it a, you know, I mean, a, a lot of what Lenore describes, right? I mean, something I resonate with, like my mom, mm -hmm. like growing up with my mom's from Rain and she's making gumbo and stuff like that. And like the idea that somebody, like, I mean, I guess... <laughs> has wheat in it so there's a problem right there that I just stumbled on but you know like that can be very hard right for somebody because it's, it isn't just well I like this it's this is a part of my family tradition I mean is it mostly people coming in with that kind of reluctance or does it tend to be more about the flavor and the habit I think it's all of it because there's so much emotion tied to food in, in any aspect. I mean, as far as even just people waking up and having their coffee in the morning, like there's an emotional response to that. So um, there's a difference in someone who has a, who decides, okay, I'm, I'm getting a little bit older. I feel like I need to, you know, do a little bit better job with my, with the foods that I'm eating and the way that I'm feeding my body. That person has made the decision that they're ready to make a change versus someone who um, has a symptom or has a new diagnosis of something and now they're forced to change. So at that point, we really kind of work on acceptance, just kind of acceptance of the process, acceptance of what's happened, because if you're going into eating a gluten-free cake thinking, oh, this is going to taste just like what I'm used to, it's not. And so accepting that it's not going to be exactly what I'm used to, but it can, it can, I can accept that this is the thing that I can really enjoy both the, the emotional response to that cake mm -hmm. and um, still serve the purpose of not harming my body anymore. Mm -hmm. Lenore, I mean, 
I'm curious, like, it sounds like you have a vision for where the bakery would, would go and, and be more than you baking cakes. I mean, it sounds like that's working out pretty well. But I mean, talk to me a little bit about, you know, sort of this broader plan for a community bakery. What, is, what does that look like for you? Um, it was something, I have a special needs child, mm-hmm. okay? And I've always wanted my daughter to learn how to bake. Always wanted her to bake with me, mm-hmm. always. And she never wanted to. And so I would say about um, maybe two, three months ago, she literally, she would come and watch me sometime, and then she would just walk away. Mm-hmm. But about three months ago, she literally just stood there, and she, and I'm like, do you want to learn how to make cookies? And she said, yes. And I was like, oh. so the vision God gave me is really true. Like he gave me this vision mm-hmm. in January, you know, to help individuals with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And I've never wanted a bakery, like never. I'm like, it's too expensive. But when he gave it to me and he told me, he said, it's not for you, it's for the community. And then everything just started coming, you know, like to have the individuals with disabilities come in, work a couple of days, because of course they don't make much money, Mm -hmm. let them come work, teach them, and then have a day, Um, not sure of what I want to call it, but I know it's going to be something community inclusion to Mm -hmm. whereas those individuals could come in, make and or decorate Mm -hmm. cookies, cakes, whatever it may be, cupcakes, and the community comes in and purchases those items. Mm and that money goes directly into their pockets. Mm-hmm. And to me, it, it would give them, like boost their self-esteem, because a lot of them are at home, mm-hmm. a lot. Don't go out, don't have many friends, so they can come to the, into the bakery, socialize with the customers, you know, bring them their, um, their pastries or their mm-hmm. coffee or whatever. Just give them a sense of, like, purpose. Mm-hmm like just purpose in their life, in their daily life, to come into the bakery and make a difference in someone else's life. Yeah. So that's pretty much Can I add on to that? Because I think I, I'm not in a similar situation. I don't have a, a special needs child. And so I, I've not, never lived in that arena. But I think that confidence in people, it goes a really long way. And it's something that through food, for if we can make somebody feel better and feel like, um, so my, my spin on it would be if we can make them feel better through, uh, through the foods that they're choosing and one, know that, okay, something was wrong and something that I'm doing is fixing it. Um, that brings confidence. But the other side of it is if I know that I have some like stomach issues and I'm constantly having to run to the bathroom as an example which is happening more and more and more frequently um, my confidence level goes down I don't want to go out very often and so it impacts your quality of life in general so that's one of the things that I work with a lot is helping want someone to develop their confidence through either deciding on an action and doing it so whether it's you know giving up wheat or let's just you know have one cup of coffee instead of two cups of coffee. I mean, something very, very simple and basic. That little bit of um, action that they're able to implement helps develop their confidence. And so we do, I mean, that is one of the things, I don't talk about it a lot whenever I'm working with people, but that is one of the the skill sets that I'm helping them to develop is their own confidence in themselves through the foods that they choose. You know, I'd be curious to know, I mean, because we're kind of circling around this theme about, you know, the something that unique to this area, right, that we have a relationship with our culinary foodways. And I mean, I'd be remiss not to ask, I mean, are are there 
dishes that you've had success getting people to turn to instead, right? I mean, like if, you know, somebody's coming into it and they're saying like, man, I, I, I it's going to be hard for me to give up Boudin, right? And, uh-huh. and maybe you, there's no way to replace Boudin because there's really nothing quite like it. Right. But, you, you know, people could still fall in love with, you know, a sweet potato pie or something like that, yeah. right? I mean, I think about like the traditions around food came from a place of necessity, right? We kind of overlook that, <laughs> you know, all food started at some level as what we had to make right. so that we could survive. And so there, there are, I would assume, dishes that still exist in our foodways today that have those qualities because that's where they came from. Mm-hmm. There are some foods because we have such unique foods, Buddha being one of them, um, that you're not going to find that anywhere else. Um, generally speaking, so there are times whenever... Anytime that you eat this, it causes problems. It's not. It's really not good for you to ever have it. Right. Like um, that does happen. Generally speaking, though, what we want to look at is um, patterns of food. So, if your pattern is that every um, Friday morning you have boudin and every Saturday morning you have donuts, um, we can adjust the pattern a little bit. So maybe it's once a month. Maybe it's when you get together with your family, so that it doesn't have to be a never thing, but it also doesn't have to be an always thing. So we can adjust the patterns of, of food behavior so that they can um, still serve a purpose and they're not completely removed from your life. They're just not the thing that you're depending on. Yeah. So I think that's where a difference comes in. Right. Like, like when someone eats something like on a daily basis or, you know, three, four times a week, then that's, that's where your issue comes in at. Because the more you do it, the more harm you're causing to your body. Sure. You know, I, mean, I kind of wonder aloud to both of you, I mean, what's changed? I mean, surely it feels like you, know, you have a conversation with my mom or whatever. I mean, like we talk about, you know, baked goods and stuff. I think most people in, know intuitively that this is like a thing that you want to do for a celebration or it's a special treat. But somewhere along the way, we stopped treating them as treats. So we started treating them as a thing that we have. A, like, what changed there? Availability. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. That, you know, there were back whenever you're whenever you were growing up or a few, you know, decades ago, to get a sweet dough pie, you had to make it. And so if you're going to make a sweet dough pie, that's a time investment. I mean, there's a lot of invested, a lot of investment in that. Whereas now there, and that's just an example, you can go out and buy one whenever you want it. So it's just available everywhere. And we can say that, I mean, that's an example, but um, that is just our availability to food is in places where, you know, you can go into a hardware store and yeah. get a soda where like, has nothing to do with what you're there for, you know? So we just have a lot more access to food now. Sure. So Lenore, I mean, it's, it sounds to me that, you know, you came to this, right, with a real sense of passion and mission and driven, but my understanding is you yourself do not have a sweet tooth, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah. I'm not big on sweets at all. So um, how do you make a, so like, it feels like a chef, right? Any sort of chef, their first critics got to be themselves, right? So how do you know when you've landed on a recipe that works? <laughs> well, number one, my son, um, he lives in Wisconsin now, but he used to be um, my taste, okay, my good. taste tester. But yeah. now I have... Um, some friends and some close family that that tastes. Yeah, I was gonna I say I, I don't think that that would be hard to find someone that's gonna taste <laughs> yes. test cakes and cookies, and I, I don't think you could. Yes. That would be you'd be hard pressed to find someone to tell you if you've done a good job or not. But I make sure it's someone that gives me good or bad critique. Yeah, you can't just tell me the good. You gotta tell me the negative, or right. you know if something is not right. Yes, Lenore. 
where do you actually get your ideas for the recipes? You talked about this being, you know, trying to go throw back to, you know, somebody's mom, her grandmother, right? I mean, are you actually pulling these recipes from your own family or are you, you pulling them from cookbooks? Where are they coming from? As far as the sweet dough? Sweet doughs, cakes, the whole, the whole lot. I mean, oh. it sounds like maybe it comes from different places. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Um, it comes from different places. The sweet dough um, recipe is something that it was a trial and error. I tried many, many years to get that right. Because growing up, that was one of my, my, my desserts I liked, sweet yeah. dough pies and tea cakes. And so I had tried that for many years and just recently um, got it right. I mean, were you working from, like, a recipe of any kind? You were just, like, doing it from memory? No, okay. I, I kind of pulled four different recipes because I tried all of them, yeah. and they, none of them taste oh. like they taste when I was growing up. Sure. So I kind of, like, pulled from each one until I finally got it. It was a lot of waste of product. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. So, and, you know, Daphne, one thing I, I wanted to say, we, we've kind of, for obvious reasons, would circulate around or, or, or mostly think about what you do in terms of dietary issues. But, I mean, taking this approach doesn't just deal with GI issues, right? I mean, right. It, what else like made a, might a change in diet uh, help me resolve? Blood sugar issues. That is a really... So elevations and changes in blood sugar are um, a, a very strong uh, means of inflammation mm -hmm. and we know inflammation is kind of the root of all disease processes mm -hmm. so managing blood sugar is really important so we'll see that in everything from obviously like diabetes pre-diabetes but also um, insulin resistance polycystic ovarian syndrome is something that women deal with um, and all of that kind of uh, ripples into other hormones that that our body uses as signaling you know, sig signaling patterns throughout the body. So, I mean, in the last important question here, I mean, if somebody wants to find, you know, a Divine Cake, where do they go? DivineCakesAndSweetsBoutique.com. Um, that's my website. I'm on every social media handle except Twitter. Okay. I don't, <laughs> I don't blame you there. <laughs> People don't really use Twitter and laugh yet anyway. And then, Daphne, if somebody wanted to, 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 to retain your services as the unconventional dietitian, how would I do that? Uh, I also have a website, The Unconventional Dietitian, and I'm also on Facebook and Instagram as The Unconventional Dietitian. Yeah. So, look, um, I got my start in journalism writing about food. I've never forgotten how much I love talking about it, and I've really enjoyed spending my time talking about it with you two. So thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch with Katie. Thank you Thank for you. having me. My guests, a pleasure. My guests today have been dietitian Daphne Olivier and baker Lenoir Harding. We edited this conversation to fit into our time slot here on Care of Yes. You can find out more about Daphne and Lenore and what they do by listening to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast. You can find and subscribe on your podcast app and on our website, itsacadiana.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsacadiana.com and on our Out to Lunch Acadiana social media. These photos were taken by Aster Morgan, and you can find more of Aster's photos at astermorgan.com. Out to Lunch Acadiana is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRBS 88.7 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Molly Richard. Our researcher is Leah Erdialis. And today's show was engineered by Dylan Babineau. I'm Christian Mater. I'm editor of The Current, Lafayette's nonprofit news outlet. For stories deeper than the headlines, head to thecurrentla.com. Join me next time for more business and conversation on Out to Lunch Acadiana. Bye-bye.
Out to Lunch Acadiana is recorded live over lunch at Tula Tacos and Amigos. Tula Tacos and Amigos offers street-style tacos, margaritas, and an open-air courtyard on Jefferson Street in the heart of downtown Lafayette. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, there's one sponsor slot open for 2023. To learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com.